Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. You have a 40-mile convoy heading for Kiev. You have continued bombings in Kharkiv. You have a Vladimir Putin who has no interest in putting an end to any of this. You have absolutely no end to his view, to his desire, to his focus of taking the whole of Ukraine. And while it has gotten tougher and tougher, while he has failed in repeated attempts in the last week in this attack, it still continues. The bombings still happen. And wait till you hear from Congresswoman Victoria Sparts, who spoke on the Hill today. And man, she was focused and emotional, talking about what she describes as not a war, but as a genocide, which may very well be the right way to describe what it is that's going on. Because you do not have two sides at, at, at odds here. You have Russia that has invaded Ukraine and is trying to destroy them. He has called for the assassination of the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky. Zelensky, for his part, has rallied Ukraine to fight back. Something the Russians were not prepared for. And the fight back has rallied the world to say, enough. And they're starting to fight back too. Vladimir Putin did not plan on this. The problem is he didn't plan on this. So what does he do next? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number. 833-468-8669. That's how you get to be a part of the program. I'm happy to take your call. What should we be doing about Ukraine? Let me give you at least a couple of pieces from me. I do not believe in troops on the ground at all. As a matter of fact, we're not even hearing from the Ukrainians that call. What we're hearing is, send us more weapons, we'll handle these bastards by ourselves. To which we should not, in any way, shape, or form, be thinking about troops in Ukraine. We should be thinking about how to help Ukraine engage this fight. Something else that was not planned for or prepared for, you have people pulling out of investments in Russia. There's a company locally in my beloved Indiana, actually not too far from me, called Drone Deck, that had a whole plan of of, of utilization in Russia and said, no, we're putting an end to all of it. I, I, I spoke to the CEO. I'll share that with you in a little bit. British Petroleum. BP, the gas, they've announced plans to exit its shareholder position in Rosneft. That's a Russian state-controlled oil and gas company. They had a 19.75% stake since 2013, and the stake is currently valued at $14 billion. Now, I don't know who they're going to sell it to at this stage of the game. Shell, a day later, 
announced its intent to exit its joint ventures with uh, Gazprom, a company you may have heard of before, and that includes a 27.5% stake in, in the Sakhalin, I think you pronounce it Sakhalin, uh, 2, uh, which is a liquefied natural gas project, and 50% stakes in two projects developing oil fields in Western Siberia. Do you know how much money we're talking about here? Do you understand the dollars and cents at play here? These companies are leaving because Russia invaded Ukraine? No. These companies are leaving because they wonder what's going to happen to them if they stay. That is how much the worldview has totally turned, twisted, and shifted. Vladimir Putin wasn't ready for it. The city... Of Kharkiv, Kharkiv, K-H-A-R-K-I-V, exists on the border with Russia. It is not too far from the Russian border, and it's a fair different distance away from Kiev. It is the second most populated city in Ukraine, and it is getting the living crap kicked out of it. If you were to take a look at a map, and I implore you to look at maps. Kharkiv is to the east, just south of Belgorod in Russia. 1.4 million people, the second most populated city in Ukraine, and the shelling has been non-stop. Meanwhile, the 40-mile-long caravan of military equipment heading to Kiev to try and surround the city this is going to be a full-on siege. That's what we're looking at. If you take a look at areas, uh, uh, things uh, in, in terms of where the Russian-controlled Ukrainian territory is, whether you are to the north of Kiev, where Belarus is, or whether you are in dominant areas of the east and to the south, down uh, near even Odessa. That's a lot of Russian-controlled territory right now. And yet still, this is not what it is that people thought would happen. They assumed there would be far more from the Russians, and it hasn't been there. But we should be clear, they're not stopping. The news reports, the photos, it is bombed out trucks and bombed out buildings and literally seeing the bombs drop and destroying buildings. We have well over 300 dead and we're going to be getting updates about that because right now it is nightfall. It is evening in Ukraine. And the war will continue anew. Not the war. Maybe again, Representative Victoria Sparks is correct. The genocide. Which puts us in a very interesting position. What happens if that's exactly what it is? And what happens if the world doesn't act and he is allowed to roll over an entire people? He already has admitted he wants to kill Zelensky. He will kill those people in leadership. He will kill anybody who resists him. You want to call it a genocide? I think it might actually fit in terms of definition. 
And what is it that the world is willing to watch? I get that this is a political conversation of should we or should we not. I'm going to again tell you I don't believe in putting any troops in Ukraine at all. I would not put troops in Ukraine. I didn't say I wouldn't do anything to Vladimir Putin. As I have made the argument many times to the progressive left that screamed and yelled and hooted and hollered about Donald Trump. And every time Russia came up, why won't Trump stand up to him? Why won't Trump do this? Why won't Trump do that? And I asked which Democrat was okay. I, 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 you can ask producer Ari how many times I said this. It's I, in the millions. I can recite the line. Go ahead. <laughs> which Democrat is ready to go and kill Putin in front of his children in Red Square? Which Democrat is willing to execute Vladimir Putin in Red Square in front of his kids? That's absolutely correct. I have been asking that question since they first started talking about Ukraine. Since the first impeachment, I've been asking that question. Remember, it was an improper phone call that led to the impeachment like it was improper. It's pathetic. Pathetic. But if you're so worried about Putin, if Putin is such a danger first, I said it then, I say it now, admit that Mitt Romney was correct in 2012 when he said that Russia was our greatest geopolitical foe in a debate with Barack Obama, and Obama said the 1980s called, they want their foreign policy back, and everyone said, ha, 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 that Mitt Romney. Barack Obama was a know-nothing, and he's still a know-nothing. A commie wannabe and a know-nothing. Knew nothing about foreign policy, knows zero about the Constitution, but he taught the Constitution. Well, I'm sold then. As long as he taught the Constitution, maybe he would know the value of it being a grouping of negative charters, as opposed to lamenting the fact that it is. Doesn't see the value in the Constitution, sees it as an impediment to his wants, desires, and ideological fantasies. Count me out of him being the intellectual I go to in these moments. Notice no one's saying, hey, Barack Obama, what would you do? Because I believe uh, I have uh, exclusive audio of Barack Obama being asked how he would handle the situation in Russia. That sounds about right. But I said, if you're so bothered by this, dear Democrats, why don't you do something about it? If Trump won't do something about it, why don't you do something about it? How about this? We don't need to send in a troop. Let's talk about letters of mark and reprisal. Let's talk about how we can uh, we can uh, uh, hire some people, and we can send in a couple of goon squads. You know what we need? We need our own suicide squad. We need our own suicide squad. Get in there, bloop, take out uh, Vladimir Putin. The Congress shall have the power to declare war, grant letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules concerning captures on land and water. Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution. Let's go! Wait, no? No, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that? We're not gonna, uh, send in a couple of guys who are like, F it, I'll go. We got a couple of those guys in the U.S. No? We're not gonna do that? That's... That's too bad. I guess the Democrats aren't. I guess the Democrats aren't serious about taking out uh, uh, Vladimir Putin. I, I, guess, I guess they're not. Well, we got to ask ourselves what we're serious about. What is it that we want? What is it that we can do? What is it that we should do? 
I'm a believer that people have to fight their own fights. I'm also a believer that we can help them fight the fights. I'm a believer that when we have a treaty, an actual ratified treaty or an actually uh, ratified agreement, that we should live up to it. So if we saw Vladimir Putin engage in any invasion or, or, or hostilities with a NATO ally, I believe in putting in troops to the fullest extent and absolutely destroying and obliterating the enemy until the enemy is dead and so are the enemy's children. Never said I was nice, guys. I'm not nice. I want to be left alone. When I'm left alone, I'm super nice. When I'm forced into the battle, I believe in killing the enemy. But I don't believe in putting in American troops. I don't believe in putting in American troops where they are not supposed to be. So I favor not having troops in Ukraine. I favor supporting these people. I favor asking questions like what happens if Putin feels things aren't going his way and how we want to respond to it. Because while I favor not having any troops on the ground, maybe I don't get to favor not having any action if Putin is a guy who would seriously consider nuclear weapons or seriously consider chemical weapons, seriously damaging the globe. Maybe I'm forced to. Maybe I have to. Maybe taking the position of absolutely not and you're all just a bunch of neocons isn't actually the right answer. Maybe the situation changes the, the, the vision. If you knew the Vladimir Putin who is not altogether in the cabeza, right? Fablunget in cup would be the Yiddish, messed up in the head. And you think that he's going to do something that will affect Americans. Do you do something about it? Do you, do you make a move on that? These are questions that we do need to ask ourselves. You have a plan for this, and then you have a plan for that, and you have a plan for the other. But make no mistake, while the Ukrainians have done a very good job of fighting back, very good job of fighting back. Russia is still advancing. Russia is still moving. Russia is still bombing. Russia is still killing. And when you see these oil companies pulling out, when you see Germany finally sending weaponry, you realize that the world didn't think it would go like this. They actually thought it would end quick, and then they'd be like, oh, well, what can you do? But now that it went like this, they've said, oh, well, we can't not be on the side of the guy who's getting abused and is fighting back. You got to be on the side of the underdog. That's what's happened in large parts of the world, just so we understand it. Putin wasn't prepared for that, which makes him more unpredictable, which means we have to start thinking about, in small doses, the more unfathomable. You get my point? Good. Because we don't have any options. We have to dig in. And it's an important thing to keep in the back of your head tonight as you watch the State of the Union and ask yourself, can that guy and that party prepare for the unfathomable and stop it from happening? Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm Tony Katz. 
Ketanji Brown Jackson. That is the nominee to the Supreme Court, and you're not hearing nothing. You're not hearing anything. You're hearing people really butcher her name, though. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And that it, it's so strange that this got turned into a, a, a racial thing. I mean, not that her nomination isn't a racial thing. Biden made clear of this. He's going to nominate a qualified black woman to the court. Because that's the deal he made with with uh, uh, Jim Clyburn, and that's uh, what he said he was going to do. So it was racial from the beginning. But people took a look at the name Katanji, K-E-T-A-N-J-I. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Katanji. And they said, ah, oh, oh, how soon before all those white men uh, butcher the name and, and pretend to not know how to pronounce her name because they're secretly racist? And then that got posted on social media by someone asking that question, like this leftist, and they spelled her name wrong. They spelled it Kentaji. It's Katanji. K-E-T-A-N-J-I. K-E-T-A-N-J-I. And admittedly, it's a little bit of a difficult name to pronounce. So don't feel bad that you would get her name wrong. Take a little bit of time, it'll come to you, and that'll be it. You think everybody got Scalia right on the first go-around? How many people called him Anthony when it was Antonin? Another Harvard lawyer. See, if you want diversity, get rid of Harvard lawyers on the court. That that would uh, be, be great. Uh, went to high school there in Miami Palmetto. Harvard University and Harvard Law. Magna Cum Laude from Harvard College, Cum Laude from Harvard Law School, clerked for Stephen Breyer, who she could possibly be replacing, during the term beginning in October of 1999. She then did law firms and served as assistant special counsel for the U.S. Sentencing Commission. So... This is the start of understanding who this nominee is. But you're not nominated by Joe Biden because you have any moderating principles. So we're going to start digging into the cases that she's done, the, the, the position she's taken, papers that she's written, to get an understanding of what it is she could be on the Supreme Court. More to come. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So Jen Psaki likes to talk. I don't know if she likes to talk, but she's the press secretary, so she's going to talk. And she wants you to believe that not having masks during the State of the Union tonight, well, it's just coincidence. 
today. Was it important to the president that masks come off during, before the State of the Union? Is there a message that he hopes to send uh, with, you know, with that news? Well, I would say the president is very powerful, but he couldn't make us be in the green zone that we're in right now in D.C. That's why we are not uh, required. We're not going to be required to wear masks starting tomorrow. So uh, I would say that for him, it had nothing to do with the timing around the State of the Union. Uh, he wanted to give the CDC the time to assess and make recommendations that would be clear to the American public about uh, what their recommendations would be for mask wearing moving forward. That's just a lie. And rare, I don't, I don't think I say Saki lies a, a lot. I think that that I think she's, you know, I'll say something like she's making it up or she's being ridiculous. She knows that's not true. Very rarely do I am I like, oh, she's just a liar. All of this is in concert with the State of the Union, because masks were never about politics. They were never, uh, or no, never about science. They were always about politics. It wasn't about science. It was about political science. Always, 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 always. We know this to be true. Now, I'm going to break down the State of the Union. I'm going to be getting into it, and and I will tell you that I've got a couple of uh, couple things that I'm a little uh, skeptical about, and and I'll go into that. I'll go into what I mean uh, coming up in 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 a little bit. But the, the State of the Union was only one thing said by Jen Psaki, that, that thing about masks there, that I, I, I thought was just just simply remarkable. The other was about energy. Listen to this. We have, we have taken steps. Um, we have not taken some steps on uh, energy sanctions, uh, in part because we weigh that. It um, doesn't mean they're, out, they're off the table. That remain, they remain on the table. But Europeans, for example, are very concerned about further price spikes on, on gas in particular. Their prices have gone up 335% over the last three, yes, over the last year and 26% over the last five days. So sanctioning energy would affect Russia's income stream. Certainly, that would be a reason to do it, but it would also have extreme consequences on the world. And Yes, it would have extreme consequences on Russia. In the meantime, Russia has sent mercenaries to kill Zelensky. So, you know, maybe things affecting Europe isn't a reason to not do anything. You're not going to engage full sanctions regarding SWIFT because the Europeans aren't on board. You're not going to go after Russian energy because the Europeans aren't on board. Who's running this thing? Who's in charge? I think that's a worthy question. A worthy, worthy, valuable question that needs to be answered. It, this isn't the only story uh, going going on. I I clearly missed last week, producer Ari, when the NCAA raised THC levels for tests. So if uh, let, let's say you are a college athlete and you like um, you 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 like weed. Let's say you like yourself a little bit of the, you like you like to roll one. You like to kick back and enjoy a special brownie. Maybe somebody brought you some gummies from Denver. Well, it turns out in the NCAA, 
That's every athlete. That's probably true. And so they have now changed the threshold for THC. The THC is the stuff that makes you feel like everything's going to be okay. And also, does anybody have a Twinkie? I could really go for a Twinkie. Like, that's, that's, that's the THC. So they've upped it from 35 nanograms per milliliter to 150 nanograms per milliliter because that's in line with the world anti-doping agency levels. What's the name of the woman, the female track star, who got who she was prevented from being part of the Olympics because she was stoned? Oh my God, I know. You can picture her, about. right? Yes, Long black hair. woman. Yeah, crazy nails. I can picture her. I can see her. She's running. It's very fast. Oh, Shakari uh, Richardson. Um, man, did she get hosed? And I'm one of the guys who said there were rules. And if you want to change the rules, change the rules. Exactly what I said, uh, by the way. They changed the rules. They changed the rules. They can't have these moneymakers sitting on the sideline. No, no, no. You need these moneymakers on the field making money for the college. Oh, yeah. You, you, can't, you can't be worried about whether or not they're smoking a little bit of, a little bit of you know, a little bit of the, of, of the sweet stuff if they're... Uh, if they've gone herbal, they decided to become part-time farmers. No, you can't. You can't stop them. They have to throw the ball and catch the ball and make you a whole bunch of money. I get it. I get it. I love how just absolutely embarrassingly transparent the NCAA is. The NCAA, we don't care. Just pay us. That's their new, that's their new catchphrase. Put that on a t-shirt. Nothing matters. Just pay us. You can be stoned. You can participate in women's sports when you're a man. As long as we get our check, we're cool. That's that's their mantra. If you haven't heard the plea from Victoria Sparks, congresswoman from the Indiana 5th, I've got it for you coming up. And odds on the State of the Union.